Welcome to another episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast, where we take time to explore more fully the weekly teaching text from our Just Follow Jesus series, as we endeavor to be good students of the gospel, Mark. Now, this week's conversation is not a boring one. For not only do we have the delight of hearing from Nick Gilmore again, but the topic is demons, spiritual warfare, the New Age movement, the occult, the value, necessity, and utility of various atonement theories, and specifically why the Christus Victor model has important implications for how we understand and engage with spiritual forces of darkness, however they may manifest. Now, I, I hope and I believe that this conversation is encouragement to each of you. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email us at jfjpod at northcoastcalvary.org. And we'll make sure that Nick gets right back to all of your thorniest questions. Now, but seriously, uh, thanks for joining us. And we hope that this week's conversation. Nicholas. Hello. How are you? Ellis. <laughs> Gilmore. Nicholas Nelson Ellis. Uh, I knew there's a fourth one. Nicholas Nelson (laughs) Ellis Island Gilmore, which is fitting because you come from an island, a very large one. Uh, Welcome back to the Just Follow Jesus podcast, Nick. It seems like it was only last week when you were here. (laughs) The week before, I think. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Well, you had the enviable or unenviable, depending on your disposition, task of uh, diving into perhaps one of the most dramatic passages that we've seen Thus far, we just came out of um, going into the storm with Jesus and Mm -hmm. is kind of from out of the frying pan into the fire is what it feels like a little bit because we land squarely on the shore to face uh, the garrison demoniac. Mm. Um, So first of all, thanks for being uh, obedient (laughs) or (laughs) willing to uh, to get up and to to dive into what can be a pretty fraught topic in a lot of different ways. And so I kind of want to, you know, one of the quotes that I love that you used in is from Carl Henry. And you said that Satan is most successfully present where he is denied, forgotten, unexpected, or unnoticed. And um, we'll, we'll get into that more a little bit later. Cause I have a couple of questions that I'd love to hear you reflect on um, with regard to our specific context in spiritual warfare. But for you more specifically, knowing that you're heading into the weekend, um, preaching on a text that is just really, uh, like, as I said, dramatically about s- the spiritual realm and the forces of darkness. Um, I expect that you probably ran into some, some level of resistance throughout mm. the week that it probably wasn't a, a pretty easy sermon to put together. Uh, is that, was that the case at all? And if so, would you be willing to share about some of that? Uh, well, um, yes and yes. I mean, it's uh, always, I find when I'm bringing a word, you know, I think it needs to work in you uh, in as much as it, it, it might then be able to work through you to be bringing anything of value to others. And so it's not uncommon, you know, if you're dealing with unforgiveness that something comes up or if you're dealing with generosity, something comes up in, in mm-hmm. that in that line. And so I guess I'm, uh, was asking for it. Well, you know, it's just, it was a, the, the way the scriptures fell that I was on for this week and had that one. Um, but yeah, there was, um, I would say there was, there seemed to be 
a lot more spiritual activity going on this week mm. in my own life uh, personally um, with our kiddos and even uh, with my wife. You know, uh, believe it or not, pastors do in fact argue and their children, as it turns out, don't all have perfect dental hygiene. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there was, there was things there that by God's grace were able to get through um, and and some other things too, you know, some other things coming up, some ministry things and and bits and bobs. Um, so you know, as it says in Second Corinthians, we shouldn't be unaware of the devil's schemes. That I think that he would much prefer it if this sort of stuff stayed in the dark, mm-hmm. hidden, not talked about. Um, as that quote from Carl Henry uh, says, you know, if if he's forgotten or denied or unexpected or unnoticed. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's kind of the number one thing. I and I, my recollection is talked about that a bit. That if uh, and screw tape letters, you know, all it just makes sense if he can make people think that he's not real. Um, then uh, then he's he wins and he gets greatest bang for his buck. Mm. You know, and so so when one's preaching on this sort of stuff, I suppose that stuff does come out. And for me, yeah, it, it did. Also. As a side note, uh, kind of slightly funny, if slightly awkward, um, I'm carrying three broken ribs at the moment. And um, so that's made it a painful week just physically, you mm. know, um, especially when I went off my pain meds because um, it kind of makes my head a bit fuzzy, mm-hmm. fuzzier than normal as both my brain cells <laughs> bumping into each other and falling over. And so um, so <laughs> during the sermon actually um, – because every time I'd breathe in, when I go past eighty percent, my my eyes would bulge a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, just because it, it's a bit painful to breathe. And uh, and I was at one point I was sharing, and uh, I forget what I was talking about, enmity or greed or something. And I breathed in, and as I did, my eyes opened, and I happened to catch the eyes of someone in the, in the uh, <laughs> you know who was there in the hall. And I haven't, I still haven't been able to catch up with them and, and just assure them that I wasn't, in fact, calling them out on enmity or strife or whatever it was. <laughs> it just was, a, you know. So, yeah, so there's been some physical things, but definitely spiritual things too uh, going on in, in the week. But, you know, that's, that's how it goes. That's mm. life this side of, uh, this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. In your experience throughout your years of, of walking with Jesus, um, one of the things that I, that comes to mind, when we start talking about Satan, the enemy, uh, is how uncreative he is. Um, I think that kind of by definition, he's, we, we often talk about him as if he's crafty, which I mean, the serpent was crafty, right? Uh, so perhaps that's where some of that comes from, but at least in my own life, when I look and try and, uh, map patterns of, you know, of negative spiritual activity, it feels like they usually center around, like kind of this, they show up in the same, the same places. Mm. Um, it's not like I'm constantly having to fight new, uh, or novel things. It's, it's usually in a couple of areas. Has that been, do you think that that's generally true or has that been, that been true for you? Uh, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's probably a fair observation. And what I would say, uh, as a kind of, um, you know, writer to that is, I mean, Henry Ford was onto something. You know, why completely innovate each time? Uh, it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is we we fall for it. I, gosh, let alone all of humankind, but I fall for it again and again, the same sort of sins and same, you know, thoughts and negative patterns and such like that. 
he doesn't have to be particularly innovative with me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wish I was uh, less stupid in that. Um, by God's grace, huh? So, so yeah, I'd say that's I'd say that's for sure. And there's also some ones that really work well, you know. Um, uh, pride really, really does work well. Humans, we're we're very prone to it. Mm-hmm. Lust, as as well, everyone, but especially as a man, you know, we need to really guard our hearts against that. I was talking with a chap at a conference I'm at uh, this week, and um, and was sharing with him. He was a bit aghast, I think. Um, but church, you most well know as well. I, um, well, hello, my name's Nick, and I'm a porn addict. And by God's grace, for decades I have not looked at porn, but I know it's mm. one or two or maybe is it three clicks away on the, you know, um, internet-carrying device I have in my pocket. Mm. So, you know, there's things which um, as humans we're prone to, there's things which as people we're prone to. What's that quote? You know, if history teaches us anything, it's that history teaches us nothing and you know, you, we see ourselves falling for the same things. And I think that, you know, biblically I'd say that's part of the story as well. Like you read it and it's just like cycles of mm-hmm. of strife and, and uh, you know, cycles of sin and consequences of sin and then people coming out of it. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I don't think he, I don't think he needs to be that innovative. Um, yeah. Mm. I'm curious if you just kind of comment on on something that I've heard. Which is people's response or reaction to this weekend, and you spent you were careful about trying to acknowledge that within any given audience, when we talk about this topic, there's going to be there's kind of two strong poles that people usually gravitate towards, and one is giving it too much attention, and mm. one is giving it next to none or kind of denying it as a as a reality, and. I've heard that, you know, many people were encouraged on two different levels by this weekend and and the, the message that you brought and the way that you handled the text. And the first is that people who have been, who acknowledge this as a reality and who have been suffering in some capacity mm-hmm. with it were encouraged. And the other was a, gr- a group of people for whom this has been something that has been scary or taboo and, uh, and, you normalized it in the way that you you brought it to us. So could you just reflect on that? Well, I mean, I'm glad if folks are encouraged. Um, I, I think I think part of it might be personality, part of it might be background and also church denominational background and, and such. Um, but certainly some church circles that I've been in over the years I've been following Jesus don't deal with it at all. And I don't think that's healthy. Mm. I think um, we ought to, you know, best we can sort of proportionately um, with the word of God approach different topics that we're dealing with, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it, whatever it is, you know, including spiritual warfare. Mm. And the Bible has somewhat to say on it, actually. So I think that that can be a wrong um, attitude. And I think if we do that in line with the Henry quote you were talking about before, um, I think that that's would be his number one because then he gets maximum room to play, you know, mm-hmm. when it's and we're we're battling things, but it becomes a, a private and very lonely battle mm. that we're undertaking, and we we don't talk about it. I, I don't think that's a good alternative. The other one 
Uh, for a while, my wife and I were part of a Pentecostal church and, and love, love, love those people, wonderful people. In those circles, at times, there can be a tendency to uh, that just see it everywhere, you know, say, oh, well, this was a demonic thing. Oh, this was, I was under attack of Satan. And, and it, sometimes that's true, but also I'm enough of a rotten fellow myself. I just need to look in the the shaving mirror and, mm-hmm. and see enemy number one, you know. Um, so so I think that sometimes if you go too far out that way, then you can kind of um, use it to externalise things, mm-hmm. whereas actually it comes from within my black little heart. Um, so, you know, I would say I'm not just trying to, you know, have a the Hegelian thing of the, the thesis, the, an, the antithesis and the synthesis. It's not as simple as that, but I do think that there there is um, – there's tendencies on this that it becomes such a big thing for us. And especially if folks, especially if folks have any fear to do with it, either, let me say, if, if they're coming from that more, let's call it, uh, you know, seeing spiritual forces everywhere end, I think that either you can become fearful or you can become cavalier. And they're mm. both not very wise, you know, if, if you're in a, under fear of it, or, or we're giving Satan more credit than he's due, or we're um, we sort of um, th- there can be times and some prayers and some ministries even can be built on that. I, I I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that as a um, you know followers of Jesus we need to be under that weight. Um, you know, so not having the fear, but also sometimes it can become very cavalier. You know, and the sort of demon hunters, and there becomes this kind of mm-hmm. I don't know. Something about it that that to me doesn't smell right. The when I when I've seen um, folks walk most powerfully in this, in uh, you know, ecbolism or exorcism or um, different areas of this more, you know, let's call it freaky end of Christianity. Um, and I'm saying that smiling. I love these people, but you know what I mean. Um, the, the folks who walk in the most authority in that, they're very calm. There's no histrionics. There's none of the head slapping and the shouting, and there's none of that. It's it's very authoritative. Abs- authoritative that was uh, absolutely it's it is. Um, but but they're walking in peace. I mean, for goodness' sake, um, it's one of the fruits of the spirit. Why wouldn't it? Why would it not be present in someone who's walking powerfully in that? So yeah, if anything good came out, um, then I, I hope that some folks for whom this was a taboo subject thought, well, it's it's actually not. The Bible talks about it. We ought to think about it and know about it and be aware of the devil's schemes. And uh, for those who might have been prone to fear, didn't really get to deal with the cavalier folks, I guess. But the uh, those who are prone to fear, I hope that it um, uh, they don't need to be under that weight. Jesus is is enough. And that was kind of what I. When I began, you know, I said whether the evil is big or small, um, Jesus is Lord over it all. He He really is. He's a sovereign one. Yeah. Sadly, in perhaps the last 10 years in particular in our country here in the U.S., everything has devolved to the, uh, to the arena of the political, it, it feels mm. like, which is unfortunate in my opinion because I think that it's unnecessary but shallow level of engagement uh, in lots of ways and i bring that up because i one thing i feel like i 
I see often is we use the language of uh, a spiritual warfare or of the demonic or whatnot um, in public discourse and to accuse our opponents. And um, I wish I could say that I didn't see that in the church, but in a, I feel like I see that from in the larger, you know, larger kind of landscape. I see spiritual leaders constantly doing that um, mm. of, of trying of speaking with a level of certainty that the motives that drive the people who oppose them in it from an ideological or political perspective are being, you know, uh, motivated or, or outright possessed by, you know, forces of darkness. Do you have any comment on that light topic? Wow. Well, you know, should we call this podcast, uh, you know, sex, politics, money, and, and demons? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. It'd probably, it'd probably me, get more, uh, more listens. Maybe. But, I mean, um, let me just say I think it's hard, if not impossible, to daub others with uh, black paint and not get some flecks of it on ourselves. Or Mark Foreman once said, you know, if we – if we dabble in the shadows, we're going to get some darkness on us. So I, I think, I think demonising anyone, I think painting, it's reductionistic. Painting something as black and white, whether it's a political thing or, or um, I, gosh, I think that's a really not a good road to to go down. Um, in the end, I'm reformed enough to believe that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you know, as it says in Romans three twenty three, and that all of us are sinners, or as um, you know, as Luther said, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously saint and sinner. We're we're made in God's image, mm-hmm. and yet we're all fallen. But we are also made in God's image. Even the most dreadful, most horrid person who presents as a, a human enemy, mm. there is still the God image in them. Uh, it might be marred and desecrated, um, but it's still in them. And in the end, humans are never the enemy, ever. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, authorities and powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil, right? So um, so humans are never the enemy. So anything that, um, that demonizes, anything that dehumanizes, anything that reduces, I, I would encourage uh, all of us to be just thoughtfully suspicious of. Let me, uh, is that enough? Have I got myself into hot water? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will we'll accept that answer and move on. Uh, <laughs> I did appreciate what you said, that the people that you've seen uh, operate in this arena with the, the greatest power efficacy are people who are markedly uh, people of peace. Right. And... You know, when I began reinvestigating some of this, because I think, you know, coming from my own background, just being raised in the evangelical church and, you know, reading Frank Peretti novels and stuff as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there is, I, I, I think that I probably was on the, um, I was definitely not on the denial side. I was more so on the, the fear-based, like, oh yeah, it's it's real and that's, you know, that, that frightens me. Mm-hmm. And so I lived under an undue level of fear of the demonic in lots of ways. And that then pendulum swung later in life to being hmm, perhaps prideful and arrogant, but looking at it and saying, well, you know, beliefs in angels, demons, spiritual warfare, that's kind of a hallmark of fundamentalism. And I really don't want to be a fundamentalist. And so I just really did moving more towards the realm of, of denying it. Um, But 
uh, Charles Kraft is, is a, I've got a, a book of his, I give you authority, practicing the authority Jesus gave us. Um, I recommend it. It mm. was one that was really, it was a helpful book. My dad gave it to me and mm-hmm. sat on my shelf for years because I didn't want to read it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of my own Jesus journey uh, brought me to a place where I needed to and was really grateful for it. But one of the, I bring it up because he's somebody that I, I like to refer to as a credible witness where mm. he wasn't, I think oftentimes when we talk about this subject, we're afraid, uh, well, we're f- afraid of being uncool, at least you know, because it's something that people will scoff at oftentimes, mm-hmm. especially in the urbane, sophisticated, uh, you know, urban centers where like, you can't possibly believe in angels and demons, do you, you know, mm-hmm. you back backwater, um, hillbilly, but, uh, you know, he's a, or we will accuse, we'll say like, well, it's just the people who are used the word histrionics earlier, people who are highly emotional and who are mm. unstable, who, mm. um, you know, they're, they, they give into this sort of magical thinking. And I liked craft and I like the way that you're talking about, about this topic in general, because he's very, he's very much a left-brained person, mm. you know, and, uh, very unemotional in lots of ways. And he, he writes about the world of spirituality with the same sort of directness. And so I, I bring all that up because I want to kind of move to ask you some practical questions, Right. which is, okay. So you, in your, you know, in your sermon, <clears throat> you did a great job of uh, inviting us into this topic and to this story where we see Jesus engaging um, and working to, to ultimately free the demoniac at great monetary cost to the local economy, which I want to ask you about later. But um, just kind of practically, one thing I'd love to hear you reflect on more is, okay, say we we accept that this is something that scripture testifies to. So we, um, giving scripture authority, need to take it seriously. Um, We then ask the question oftentimes, well, hey, why is it that we don't, I, I mean, I don't have tons of encounters in my own life with the demonic. And you spoke to that a little bit in your sermon that perhaps in our culture, we don't, uh, he doesn't really need to be as at work because we've got things like space phones constantly, mm. you know, in our pockets, grabbing our attention, or we're, we're so kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anesthetized by, uh, by con- consumption. Our appetites mm. are always so constantly being, satiated that there isn't need for much attack, but on a practical level, sorry, this is a long and winding way of getting to my mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. So thanks for bearing with me. Um, if we accept this as a reality. What are we supposed to do about it? Nick, you mentioned at the very outset that, Hey, whether, you know, the power is big or small, like let's land at the fact that Jesus is Lord overall, which is wonderful. But I'm sure a lot of people walked away from this weekend saying, okay, um, well, if it's real and I'm seeing it in my life or if I'm even afraid that I, you know, I'm listening to you talk and describe, describe some of this activity, these different, uh, demonic ploys, you know, that you named for us, disassociation being one of them or, uh, the fallacious appeal to, uh, you know, to a false authority. Um, what do we do in light of that? And what informs your perspective on that? Well, thanks. Well, I mean, given some subsequent comments, I'm not, entirely sure I did do a good job uh, with the weekend or on that thing in particular. But I I would say on this one, I think firstly, we need to remember that if we're in Christ, then uh, Satan, or as a friend of mine calls him, enemy Satan, 
uh, enemy Satan and his minions, the demons, actually have no claim over us uh, lest we give them some, Mm. right? Um, So the first thing to remember is that if we're in Christ, they have no claim over us. The second thing to know is that uh, being people, uh, God's missionary people full of the Spirit, that wherever we tread as kind of emissaries or ambassadors for him, uh, we carry his authority with us. Uh, surely it's a delegated authority. Mm. Uh, but even at the times when we come and, and are praying into situations or praying over friends and loved ones who are battling through awful things um, and we where we sense there's some form of demonic uh, influence, um, that delegated authority, uh, we ought to stand in that authority to be those who um, who pray in Jesus' name, who believe in Jesus' name for healing, who believe um, as we walk in his authority um, that that the demons cannot but flee at his at his name. So yeah, I, I think um, I think uh, more of us. I, I think if we and I think if if we fully realised the kind of um, the power of that delegated authority. Like I said, it's not us. Don't be like the seven, you know, sons of Sceva who get their butts kicked. But if we, if we actually walked in the authority, the delegated authority of Christ in this, I think it would be transformative for ourselves, for our families, for our loved ones, and for those we minister to. Okay, so I'm going to press you on some practical stuff. You said, all right, for all of us as believers, if you're in Christ, then then the enemy, enemy Satan has no authority over us. So then what do we do and what do you do? What's your take on uh, people who are Christians who, you know, who claim Jesus's lordship um, and yet by all appearances seem to wrestle with, with this. With the delegated authority part or with the lordship part or or Um, with, with the demonic influence. Yeah, well, I mean, gosh, that's, I mean, you've just described everybody. So, um, and so uh, what I'd say is that, um, is that Jesus, it's not a matter of lip service. Jesus is either our Lord or he's not. And we don't get to decide that. Thankfully, you know, in his wonderful wisdom, he decides that. Um, I would say at a certain point, though, if we, claim to be in Christ and yet are, you know, uh, sinning without, you know, our conscience, without allowing our conscience to heal us, but searing our conscience and continually doing so, at some point it undermines and kind of vitiates lordship, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, leaving that one aside, like, um, and, I, and on that, you want to be careful because I'm not saying, well, that person's a Christian, that person's not a Christian, that's not for me to decide, right? Um, but... If Jesus is Lord at all, he must be Lord of all. But I think your question is that, Joseph, are you asking about what about folks who are struggling with trauma-related things or with uh, habitual sin, or is that what you're asking about sure, in, that's, in that setting? Yeah, that we can we could go there. I, I do think that, yes, let's, yeah. let's go there. Okay, because the other one, you know, is really, I'd say, above my pay grade, mm. let me say that. Um, the, the truth is I think that um, all of us all the time are bombarded, it seems, especially 
so now I don't know, maybe times past it wasn't as much, but it was so much stuff that uh, can get us to look to the left and the right rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus. So let me personalize it. To the extent that I say, if I, being a man who I need to watch out what I look at, and I can be prone to sexual temptation, if I gave into that a little bit and allowed, you know, the look to turn into a gaze and then to turn into a thought and then continue to do that, um, uh, does it undermine lordship in my life? I don't know. At some point, maybe it does. But if I'm in that place of battling that, um, what would it look like? What would Jesus' lordship look like over that situation? And how would the spiritual dimension of the spiritual battle going on play into that? I think a couple of things. One is that um, that I see, and I, pastorally I see this all the time, that that there is a spiritual element to it and it's a human element to it and a spiritual element to it. The guys are in this place where um, they're giving into the sin and they're giving into the temptation and things are going from bad to worse and their, their thought life is getting worse and worse, their, their, their action life is getting worse and worse. What would lordship look like at that point? Part of it comes to human volition, like do you really want to be healed? Is this mm. something, and that's, you, you'll notice that uh, Jesus often asks that and the few, probably less than a dozen or maybe even less than 10, I don't know, but exorcisms that I have seen or been a part of, that is one of the key things. Because mm. if someone doesn't want that, then then that, that would undermine human volition, right, for the Lord to do that. Um, so that's the thing. Do you really want to be healed? Well, I do. You know, I don't like this um, this cycle of temptation I'm stuck in. I don't like this anger, this flaring anger, that whatever it is, like the thing, right? Um, and then it's saying, okay, well, let's pray against that in Jesus' name. And and I will even, there are even times, that, and I don't want the folks listening to be freaked out about this, where I will even pray and I will even address Satan. I'll say, Satan, I'm addressing you. You have no power over this person's life. They are washed in the blood of Jesus. They are his. You have no power. And so in Jesus' name, I'm commanding you to leave. Mm. And then we talk about the healing and all of the stuff that that can go on because everything that we do and think affects us as people. We're holistic beings, right? And then, I mean, very practically, take measures to ensure that you're not in that place again. Mm. If it's lust and the iPhone was an issue, well, hey, you don't have to have one. You can have a flip phone. Mm. I mean, I hate to sound drastic and extreme, but... You know, flee from sin, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I think that the thing that we've wrongfully done is to take out the spiritual element and put it over there on the shelf. But actually, it is connected in and through everything. So, I'm not really sure I answered your question, but uh, there we go. Well, I don't blame you. It was a, a poorly asked question. It was long and rambling, and so, <laughs> so you know what. Uh, we'll find out upon listening if you did in fact answer a question or if I asked one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to return to the passage briefly since at least we pretend to use this podcast to engage more deeply with, with the text. In You did mention the that, you know, when Jesus, um, you know, allows the 
the Legion to enter the uh, the herd of pigs, that that came at great cost, perhaps generational wealth, accumulated mm-hmm. generational wealth. Um, so I want to ask you two questions related to that. Right. One, what is it? What do you make of Jesus allowing the demons to do that in the first place? Um, is he being kind to them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Like I said in the sermon, the, my there's a lot of ink spilt on this, and I don't have a clear answer because I'm a bit spun out that he would do that. I, the only sense that I could see in it would it would have been very vividly illustrative for those watching to see that many pigs um, being possessed or whatever you want to call it um, infected. You know, uh, the, the demonic running amok amongst such a large group. Of, that's a massive uh, group of livestock. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, um, you know, it's very rarely. I grew up on a on a ranch where we had uh, about 3,500 sheep and uh, maybe 300 head of breeding cattle. Even 100 cattle together is, is a lot. So that many pigs um, being infected or, or possessed by the demonic, I mean, that would have been... Would have been quite a sight, and would have been. Um, I think it would have been illustrative for them of the the power of the demonic, and also, um, gosh, this man must have been in such torment and turmoil. But I'm just grasping at straws, to be honest with you. I don't know why Jesus did that. Mm. Kind of, um, I'm trying to think. I I can't think of any other time in Scripture. You know, there was Balaam's donkey, but that was that was in a different way. The, mm-hmm. the donkey speaks and kind of rebukes Balaam. But, um, yeah, I can't really think of another part in Scripture that, that comes close to that. Mm. So what do you make of the... You, you mentioned that it was... What was the number you said? Was it like seven hundred, seven or eight hundred thousand dollars? It's six or $700,000 on today's market. Well, it depends on the size of the pigs and the quality of the pigs, but let's just, yeah, let's call it half a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a, uh, a, terrible, a, a terrible thing for Jesus to inflict upon um, an unsuspecting local economy. Well, yeah, and and you wouldn't be alone. In there's other theologians who've who've said that. If anyone out there is thinking that, the answer to it, I think, and um, I'm pretty sure it was R.C. Sproul talks about this that that one human uh, being free of torment is worth so much more mm. than uh, than the, that that economic cost. Yeah, I, I think whenever we we come to sort of horse trading with people's lives and thinking, well, you know, such and such to do that. I, I think we're, we're, we're starting to get in really troubling ethical waters, to be honest with you, because um, a human life is of incalculable worth, uh, you know, for someone to be free of torment, for someone to be... Now, I believe that that guy, I mean, how could he not want to follow Jesus for the rest of his days and share with others about the goodness and kindness of Jesus, his saviour, um, until the day he went uh, to be home, went home to be with him. Um, his life is of more value, yeah, than even 2,000 pigs, even 10,000 pigs. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing that I've 
when I've reflected on the kind of the hard nut to crack that is this, because this this text does bring up, as you mentioned, like a number of just kind of troubling ideas um, or perhaps truths that we, yeah, maybe just don't get answers to. Like a couple that we have named here, like why why was this, did Jesus allow it to happen? And um, yeah, what's the value of, of inflicting that level of damage on on people who perhaps didn't deserve it. But Well, a more interesting question, I think, even deeper than that, is given that Jesus is the Lord, I mean, keep in mind as a human, um, he did not give up his divinity. He gave up his glory, but not his divinity. Mm. That is to say, so uh, omniscience, like his seeing of everything, future, past, present, so on, Jesus knew that the pigs were going to go down and drown themselves, so he knew that it was at two minutes, was it ten minutes, was it three hours, we don't know. But for the for those pigs to run down and then for them to be dead and the spirits, were they released at that point? But Jesus knew that was going to happen. Mm. So it was only postponing for, was it an hour, was it ten minutes, we don't know, mm-hmm. um, and the destruction. So that for me starts to become a really interesting, all these things, of course, I'm going to ask the Lord one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wonder in some ways if it uh, if it was included for our sakes, because this is any time I've heard this passage discussed, this is one element of it that people kind of get stuck on. But particularly for us here in the West, we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, the the cost of that, and you see you see uh, that that sort of spirit, that concern for the like the financial impact of stuff at present in the disciples. Obviously, most. Um, most clearly in Judas when he's worrying over the cost of the perfume that's used to anoint right. Jesus' feet. But um, in in many ways, I I wonder if its inclusion is in part perhaps to rebuke this the spirit in us that you know we've talked when we've talked about this topic thus far we've gravitated towards some of the hot sins um, and like sexuality you know or like um, like visible anger violence that sort of thing but. There's a there's very much a spirit that our culture has baptized as good, which is money, mm-hmm. um, in in many different ways. And so there's a part of me that this story unmasks probably one of the most pervasive spirits of the age, which is mammon. Mm. And I mean, it's one that Jesus himself actually names specifically mm. in the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. um, and. So that wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have a question related to that other than the fact that I know that when I find myself reading this, this text and going, gosh, like that seems, that seems really messed up. Jesus, you just like bankrupted a whole town, you know? And I've read certain commentaries where people are trying to justify it saying, well, maybe they're, maybe they're raising pigs for the Roman legion that was in the area that was oppressing the Jewish people. And so really oh, in yeah. a, in a, you know, <laughs> in kind of a tertiary way, this is, uh, you know, um, getting back at the Romans, but if anything, it just exposes in my own heart the uh, the improper priority of uh, yeah uh, of money in comparison to as you already mentioned, like hey, the sanctity, the health, the wholeness, or the restoration of a single human soul. I mean, how how right. can you really equate the two? Well, that's right. And in the end, to be honest, I mean, to fast forward it to our day, money actually has no inherent worth. Mm. Some might even say it's inversely proportional to worth. Anyway, that's another discussion. But like an actual banknote of $100, mm-hmm. the paper and the ink is not worth $100. It's just something that we've 
we have this kind of common shared delusion and we agree that it's if I give you a hundred dollar note, you'll give me, you know, one car tire or whatever a car tire is worth. Um, but what what are things of eternal value? I'll say this after having sat bedside with folks who are just about to go and meet with the Lord, I am yet and it sounds like an old pastor's cliche, I guess it is. Well, it's not a cliche, it happens to be true. I've not spent time with one person who wishes that they'd made more money. Mm. Not one. I've spent time with so many folks who have regrets, you know. I was alienated for those years with my son or, you know, I wish that I'd spent more time uh, noticing the beauty of God around me. I wish I'd spent more time building into relationship, you know, all these things. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, the things that are of eternal consequence are not always of temporal consequence. And I don't think the problem um, is with the eternal stuff. I think it's with our temporal stuff. Mm-hmm. Speaking of this present age, you know, it, when I step back and look at our own context, we live in North County, which is a spiritually diverse landscape. Um, there's lots of different spiritual communities that are practicing here and not all of them Christian. Um, obviously mm-hmm. we're, uh, I think I mentioned this on a, a previous episode, but yeah, you know, down at Swami's we've got, there's, there's a lot of Eastern um, spirituality that's practiced here. There's also a fair amount of new age spirituality. This it's kind of a, it's woven into uh, some of the the culture here in Southern California, some of the surf culture. And you made a passing comment at the beginning of your sermon about how uh, the new age and the occult kind of go hand on hand in hand. And I, w- I was curious about that. And I wanted to ask you mm. what, what prompted that, that comment is that from personal mm. experience? Is that from study or observation? What what's going on there? Yeah, no, both for sure. Um, and so um I mean, it interests me, and I forget if we've talked about this before, but typically in, in let's call it Western post-Christian contexts, you know, contexts that, that you know, have a um, Christian-esque background and then are, are moving more and more away from that, um, things, it appears to me, seem to bifurcate into, on the one hand, kind of um, secular humanism and kind of like a fundamentalist atheism on the the one side and then on the other side is sort of new age belief and and they i know that's totally paradox paradoxical but they seem to coexist mm. anyway so to my own uh certainly have studied a lot of that stuff and i and i think it's very instructive i think as the people of god we ought to be able to meet people where they're at mm. to ascertain their world views to respect them and know them enough that we know about them um so i have studied new age um religions a lot what i'd say one of my favorite quotes about it though is from a he's actually he's an australian academic um whose name escapes me presently but he said the thing with new age spirituality trying to define it is like trying to nail jello to the wall um (laughs) because it's very kind of amorphous Mm -hmm. and it and it and it flexes and and moves um but uh but i have certainly have studied it and i think that we ought to um, but my wife, um, and she was just sharing that this morning at this conference that we're at the Christian Surfers Conference sharing her Jesus story. Um, she uh, was involved in, in I'd, I'd call it uh, New Age spirituality and then 
Um, it, it's I would say it's impossible to define where uh, New Age becomes a cult. The line is is no line. Is it you know in as much as um, as here we we do have the influence of some Eastern religions, but it's kind of a a diet version, or you know, a, a, if it was beer, it'd be Bud Light version of Eastern. Because is it really Buddhism? The friends who claim to be Buddhist, if you say, "Oh, you really do, you believe that stuff," and you talk to them about it, they don't. It's not actual Buddhism. It's Buddhism light, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, my wife came out of that, uh, you know, that worldview, um, and then and then more and more got into heavier and heavier sides of the occult, where she was. Um, uh, you know, using tarot and using uh, Ouija boards and uh, and being very, very accurately being able to predict for people uh, forthcoming events. Mm. I mean, uncanny. There's not a question about it whether it was true or not. It was tapping into a dark power, though, and her testimony is worth hearing. Uh, I just want to say this, that that she was saved out of that by coming face-to-face with the reality that this was an evil force that was somehow against her. Mm. She didn't fully understand about Jesus. She didn't understand fully about his atoning death on the cross. She didn't understand that. What she realized was that that she was dabbling in things that were very dark, that depleted her emotionally and even physically. She'd be very emotionally and, and physically exhausted after doing readings for people. Um, and and so she cried out to Jesus. She'd also been reading a Bible because she was just she's just brilliant person, and she happened to be, you know, reading that as well. And and it was starting to become clear to her that that the biblical story about good and evil, the story about Satan and these fallen angels who are now demons, and the reality of that, uh, and that Jesus, she realized somehow Jesus was more powerful over that. He was victorious over that. And she cried out to Jesus in the middle of her turmoil and horror and came to the Lord. I mean, it was, you know, and so, um, so yeah, I, I, I do see that. I do see it as an entryway thing. I think that folks who are into the new age, I, I love them. I love that they're searching. Mm. I love that they're searching spiritually. It lacks the kind of hubris and arrogance of the fundamentalist atheist position and and they're sort of intrigued, but they can go down a lot of avenues that I think can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the language that you just used there towards the very end about V's uh, realization about kind of this, the cosmic drama and the reality of that, and that, that that is an ongoing drama that we live inside of, not, not one that is consigned to the past or the pages of history or scripture. Uh, and it, it brings up a wonderful opportunity to take a brief foray, foray into the nerd zone and talk about drum roll, please. <laughs> Atonement theories. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, we won't spend too long here because we could, uh, we could get lost in the weeds for a long time because there's much, much to be said. Uh, I think I actually learned it from you. You, you called it, Something like the many-sided jewel. Well, that wasn't me, but yeah, it's been it's been called over millennia the the many-sided jewel of theology. It's part, it's part of systematic theology, and in particular, uh, soteriology, mm-hmm. as in um, theology of understanding our salvation. Mm-hmm. 
which of course is through Christ. So it's connected to Christology, but it's it's soteriology. And so atonement theory, I guess we're in the nerd zone. So can I nerd out for a second? You're, you're uh, absolutely allowed right. to. Wait, hold on. Let me, let me right. tee it, tee it up. Yeah, yeah, no, right. yeah, okay. okay. So the reason why I want us to go, go here is because you just were using the language of victory of Christ. Right. Uh, victory over the powers of darkness, which right. is actually connected to a pretty long and robust uh, strain within the the world of atonement theories, that of Christus Victor. But in right. particularly the American context and I'd say the modern era, that's not that for some reason, um, the language of penal substitutionary atonement, particularly coming out of the reformed you know, uh, traditions, seem to be the ascendant uh, atonement theory where we mainly started looking at God and speaking about him in this in the capacity with which Jesus paid Jesus' death paid for a debt or sins. Right. But that's not the only way uh, that scripture talks about soteriology or about atonement. One of the primary ones that you just named, well, we're naming now is Christus Victor. So could you unpack what that is a little bit? Yeah, no, for sure. In fact, it it it's uh it had ascendancy in, in historical theology a long time before penal substitutionary atonement did. Not that uh, you know, penal substitutionary atonement is wrong. Of course, of course, I believe that. You know, like um, that God made Him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. You know, that that great exchange and the whole Reformation talks about that. Um, so I'm not saying that that's not right. It, it is right, and it's wonderful, and it's life giving, and it's amazing. Uh, it's not the only. Um, matter that or the only um, consequence of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised again from the dead. There's others, ransom theory, and there's another one by Anselm and so on. But but the one that you're talking about, Christus Victor, is from the Latin term mean, meaning Jesus the victor, the one who vanquished. Uh, and, and at that point, there's different forms of it. He vanquished death. Well, yes, he did. He vanquished Satan. Yes, he did. Uh, Peter Wagner talking about... Um, uh, you know, spiritual warfare said that that Satan has been uh, defeated. He has not yet been destroyed. We're in the now and the not yet of that. Mm. Um, but it began with uh, that era with Jesus actually rising again from the dead, victorious over sin and victorious over death. And so, um, so uh, it, it's it's another way of looking at that. So atonement, the easiest way to think of it. Uh, for those of us who are, um, you know, um, trying to get our heads around it, is breaking the word down, at one meant. We were separated from the Lord. Now we're brought back together with the Lord. Mm. Jesus is victorious. It says in First John 3 that that's why the Son of Man appeared, to destroy the devil's works. And for the first almost thousand years of people following Jesus, if you had asked them, the average Joe, um, why did Jesus die on the cross? They wouldn't say to pay the penalty for my sin. Not that it's wrong. That just wouldn't have been their answer. Mm-hmm. They would have said, well, he died on the on the cross and rose again from the dead to kick the devil's butt or whatever medieval version <laughs> of that, you know. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's victorious. He's the victor over enemy Satan. Mm. And it has implications, you know. I mean, certainly... Uh, some theological traditions 
amplify that more than others, like Pentecostal tradition amplifies that a lot. And then, but taken too far and by themselves, they can um, they can lead to skew if uh, theology. So you know, taken too far and by itself, if it's reductionistic and we and we focus on that part of the atonement theory rather than others, it can lead to triumphalism. Mm. Well, he's always going to let me be victorious over, I don't know, the sickness or the financial struggles or mm. whatever, mm-hmm. and you can end up with a, a poor theology of suffering. That would be a misapplication of a biblical truth, Christus Victor, that Jesus is the victor over sin and death. But the same could be said, a penal substitution. You know, if if we think of that and we think of it, atonement solely in um, in kind of judicial terms, it can become, um, what's the word, transactional. Mm-hmm. So if I tick the right box and pray the right prayer, then everything's hunky-dory. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like I think uh, understanding the work of the cross and the power of that, I, I marvel at it. I mean, I've studied it for years and years personally and, and devotionally and academically, and I'm more amazed by it now than than I ever have been. It's truly a, a source of never-ending wonder. And the effect of the cross, the effect of Jesus' work on the cross is bigger and more mind-boggling than I think we could get our heads around. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's a massive topic, but uh, it does come in. And, and, hey, let me say, it has big bearing upon this area of um, spiritual warfare. Because if we understand that side of it, yes, Jesus is the victor. He is more powerful. Satan has no um, charge or call upon me because I am in Christ. I stand in Jesus' victory in that. Victory to what? Well, victory over sin, victory over death, ultimately, as we're all resurrected, you know, First Corinthians 15, and also victory over this temptation that I'm facing today this sense that I just want to be really jealous of that sister of mine who something has happened. I want to be really, you know, I'm full of enmity towards this person um, or, I, you know, this, this uh, temptation which is, just feels like a, a mountain of temptation coming against me sexually or, or even, you know, whatever it is that I, I can stand in Christ's victory in that. No temptation has seized me. Accept what is common to man, and God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And we can stand on these biblical truths and stand in Christ's victory. And I think in in there, relationally, with a fulsome understanding of atonement theology, lies uh, you know spiritual thriving in Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like a good note to end on Christ. Christ being ascendant and and victorious and that inviting each of us if we can understand that i think this goes back to some of what you were saying earlier that you have the sense that if people if we really could live out in a in practical daily ways big and small the reality of being in christ uh, that things would families would look a lot different that you know churches our communities would look a lot different um i i think that that comes to mind when I'm hearing you talk and describe the the work of of Christ as the victor over you know, the over the enemy Satan and the invitation that that extends to each of us to stand in in that truth securely and firmly and to be able to move out 
into the world without fear, but with a sense of a rightful sense of that delegated authority that you talked about earlier to, uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world to, um, and to be free of, uh, not only the fear of the enemy himself, but also the fear of judgment of other people. If we are walking, you know, with, um, with courage and conviction. And if we're, if we're talking openly about the stuff for ministering to, to friends and neighbors or family members in this capacity. Yeah. If, if we're still in the nerd zone, sorry to interrupt, but uh, if, you know, if we uh, permit the Bible talking about Christus Victor, then it does enable us to, to quote from another atonement theory, uh, follow the Christus exemplar that Jesus is, is our example. The one who is loving, the one who is kind, the one who, you know, is not full of pride and, and malice, the one who can love his enemies, and the one who instructs us to do so. Um, I think that's in the end. We wanna, I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today, my goodness. Yeah. You know, that last thought on, thanks for bringing up another uh, another atonement theory. The, <laughs> the, the, the fact that you did, it sparked a thought in me, which is that, well, perhaps one of the reasons why there's, um, there's many is because they hold together a beautiful tension and from a pastoral perspective or from an experiential perspective for us as, you know, individually or walking alongside of other, other people, we can ask the question, Hey, in this particular circumstance with this, you know, this friend is wrestling with X or Y, um, they, the different models present themselves as different tools mm. where it's like, Oh, well this, this person really needs to understand and experience at a deeper level the truth that well hey actually once and for all uh their their legal indebtedness to uh to sin or to the enemy has been taken care of because of Mm. christ's work on the cross but perhaps in a different situation we can understand oh hey that's not really what this person is wrestling with what they're Mm. wrestling with is a, a sense of impotence and what they need is actually to experience jesus coming alongside and saying hey well actually no look i I am Victor and I, I have given you authority. And so now go and walk in that walk empowered, knowing that you, it's not up to you Mm -hmm. and your own might, um, to, to win this battle over any particular thing that you're wrestling with, but it's, you know, it's, it's Christ's strength. So in that sense, it doesn't become, Oh, well, which atonement theory is, is right. And which do I need to be a a particular champion of? Cause I saw that a lot in my theological studies is that, I'd meet friends and they'd become a particular, they'd kind of have pet, the- you know, their pet right. atonement theory. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I mean, this one's the the true yeah. one. It's like, well, that's, that's a waste of time and <laughs> yeah. energy. They're all, they're all good and useful. Yeah. They're different tools. Yeah. If, if all you have is a hammer and everything looks like a nail, but I think, yeah, a good, a good workman or work woman, work person <laughs> would uh, be able to ably use them all. Mm. Well, Nick, I think I'm going to ask you to end with this. If somebody's listening and they they feel particularly um, distressed by by this conversation, this topic, or by their own experience, saying like, "Man, I just I do I feel particularly hounded." Um, is there a word of blessing or encouragement that you would leave them with? Uh, yeah, really, no, absolutely, there is. I'd say, dear one, you do not need to do this alone, uh, the Lord himself is with you. I mean, actually, 
with you. And so are we. Uh, yeah, the, the struggles are real on this side of the river, on this side of eternity. There's awful things that happen, unspeakable things that, that happen, have happened. And, uh, and we don't want you to feel alone. We don't want you to feel isolated. We want you to know that you're loved, um, that Jesus has won the victory. And why don't you come around? Let's have a cup of tea and uh, just remind each other of that. Mm. Well, Nick, thanks for taking the time for having this conversation and for, uh, once again, for your sermon this week. And we'll look forward to the next time. And hopefully you'll have, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll have a little bit less of a dramatic text to, to teach on. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be thinking of and praying for you as you head into a, a pretty busy week with the conference here and everything that's going on. So thanks, my friend. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. For more information about the series or our church, you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org. We also still have some copies of the special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.